Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We come as far as verse 12. So if you guys will remember the message last week out of Hebrews chapter 4, and if you need some rest, this is a good chapter for you because Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us of what is godly rest. Now, we talked about last week, as just a reminder, get a little running start here, that rest is not in vacation. And you think if I could get to Hawaii, then I could rest. Well, no, Hawaii's on fire. You can't rest. Um, if I could go, you know, and we, we have these ideas of what we need to recharge or rest, and Hebrews chapter 4 tells you that God offers you a rest. As a matter of fact, it's one of the main themes of the Bible. God designed everything that he did around the idea of Sabbath, a, a day of rest. God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And all the way through, from Genesis to Revelation, God is concerned with us having rest and joy. And so, um, a, as a reminder, we spent a whole week on it last week, but I can give you last week's sermon in one sentence, and that is that rest is found in relationship with Jesus. And, and so, you know, if you, you know, I'm not against vacations and doing those things. They're all great. But take your Bible with you or, or go on a rest where you're going to spend some time with Jesus and get away. Go up in the mountains. we got some great mountains around here. You know, spend a day. Take a day by yourself. Take a Bible and a bottle of water and get alone and rest in Jesus and in relationship with Jesus with an open Bible. Um, I'm not really close to the situation, so I want to use it as an example, but I want to be careful that I'm not judging, and I don't know this person, I don't know their story. But one of the Maverick City worship leaders has gone secular recently, and um, I don't know if he's completely walked away, but he was really involved in, in leading worship, and um, some of his music, I still love some of the songs that he, that he did. He did Gyra and some others, and, um, and now he's in the news because he's, he's kind of publicly walking away from ministry and trying to go secular and doing these things. Now, again, I don't know him. I don't know his situation. I haven't read a ton about it. But, but somebody asked me, they said, you know, we, we, we followed this guy very closely, this other person, and they said, you know, he was really involved in leading worship and doing ministry and all these things, and how could he go from that to, to walking away? And, and, and really what happens, and I don't know his situation, but um, I've seen a lot of other situations where people very involved in things of God end up drifting away because you make ministry your God. And you could be very busy serving the Lord. And you think because I'm leading worship, because I'm, I'm teaching Sunday school, because I'm doing Bible things, I'm doing godly things, I'm witnessing, I'm doing all these things for God, that that replaces your rest in Jesus, and that's supposed to fill you up, and all that does is leave you empty. And, and what happens with these folks, and maybe with the guy from Maverick City, that he, he, he did what the Ephesian church did in Revelation chapter 2, and they left their first love. And he didn't get away and spend every day quality time reading his Bible and praying every day and getting recharged and filled up from personal relationship with Jesus. You know, I know some of you. I know some of you work very hard around here and in the ministry here, and it's hard work. But I want to encourage you, especially for our church and for those that I can have a say over their lives, I'm more interested that you get alone with Jesus on a regular basis than, than you taking on a lot of responsibility around the church. And believe me, I know it as a staff pastor. It's something, I've been a staff pastor my whole adult life. And so, you know, I, 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 I understand where I'm in this bubble, and I, I work at a church, my office is at church, I, I do church things all day, every day. There's a Bible college, a preschool, a K-12 through school. And, and so I can start to think that I'm, I'm, I'm really close to God because of all these things that I'm doing for Him. 
But listen, that, that, that is a recipe for disaster. And, and I'll just end up dried up and bitter and, 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 and distant if I don't rest in my relationship with Jesus. Amen? All right, that was last week. Now we can move on to this week's sermon. Don't forget your first love. Listen, if that's you, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling tired, I want to tell you how you rest. Jesus told the Ephesian church, he said, you do lots of things well. You're a religious church. You deal with problems. I love a lot of things about your church. And he said, but I have this thing against you, that you have left your first love. And, and Jesus, as he's talking to the church in Revelation chapter 2, he doesn't just chide them because they left their first love. He tells them what to do. And he says, go and return and do those things that you did in the beginning. Honestly, men, you want your marriage to be great? Marriage can be great for the life of your marriage. Been married four, four days or 40 years or 50 years. If you do this one thing, your, your, your marriage will go well. And if you treat every day of your marriage exactly as you did when you were trying to win her hand, when you were trying to impress her, when you were courting her, when she still had a choice, <laughs> your marriage will, 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 will do well. And you still date your wife. And, and you still, you know, do those extra things that you did in the beginning. And God says that about our relationship with him. Go back and do those things you did in the beginning. Remember, you know, when I first fell in love with Jesus, I, I was completely a drug addict, alone in my room, no context, no Bible. I didn't own a Bible when I got saved. And yet I didn't know the difference between an epistle and an apostle. I didn't know if you could lose your salvation. I didn't know the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. I didn't even know there was a such thing called a rapture. I didn't know anything. But I knew that I loved Jesus, and I started seeking Jesus, and I was spending time with Jesus. And you know what's, what's, somebody asked me recently, I had a young man come to me, he said, hey, Pastor Chris, this thing happened to me. He said, what do you think about that? Is that normal? Is that there? And I said, that, that's, that's not something that happens every day, but I'll tell you what, some of those things that this young man just described to me, God showed up in this kind of weird way, in this vision dream thing, and he felt something, all this stuff. I said, listen, when I was a brand new believer in Jesus, God did some things in my life that he hasn't done since then, some really supernatural things. But in that season, I didn't have the context of God's word, and I didn't know anything. And so God was doing a special work to get my attention, to build relationship. And then he started pointing me towards the word of God. And now my relationship with God is based on truth from the word of God, and I don't need him to do all those things that he once did. And, and so he, but he will do those things. I, I got to tell you guys this, one of the things that happened. It's so awkward for me to share this, but it's a true story, and it's just weird. It's embarrassing. I was praying in this very first season. I got saved, and a few months later, I moved to him, and I was still in L.A. when this happened. And um, I, was, I was praying, and, I was, and I, was, I was worshiping the Lord, and I was saying hallelujah. And when I got to the loo part of hallelujah, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit was all over me and this like supernatural Holy Ghost like feeling in my stomach and it just came out like an angel was singing. And I was, and I was saying hallelujah and there was just this point in it. And, and again, I go to my sister and her friends are there at the house and, and they're there and I said, I know, that, I know God has called me to sing for Jesus. I can sing. <laughs> oh my, oh my. I'm the worst singer on the planet. You know, but even in that season, when I first became a Christian, again, no Bible, no context, drug addict in L.A., nobody in my family's Christian, and God gets a hold of my heart, you know, and I would be like, in that season, I'd drive in my car, 
And just that time, I would notice the guy in the car in front of me would have a bumper sticker on it. It would say, Jesus loves you. Never seen that before. But that time, all these kind of things were happening where God was working in my heart. And, and again, but God's plan for you, and it's in our, our message today. That's why I'm sharing this. I'm not just rabbit trailing here. I'm sharing something that is in the chapter that we're studying today. But what happened over the, the after that, what God started encouraging me to do was to grow and base my foundation of truth on the word of God and not all this weird stuff. And, and this young man, the story that he told me, it was kind of weird. But I didn't discourage him at all and say, oh, no, that's a little strange. I didn't tell him that at all. I said, hey, that's awesome. And, and probably I'm, I fully believe it was God. Because God, again, will do those things in the beginning. He's not doing those things in my life today. Because he wants us to, be, to grow in faith and grow in the knowledge of God's word. And that's what this chapter, again, is going to get into today about those things. And so um, um, we left off in chapter 4 and verse 12 last week. And it says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I illustrate, listen, that's one of the most important verses in your Bible about the Bible. If you have anybody that tells you the Bible is only good in as much as it's been translated correctly, tell them bug. That's a lie from the pit. The Bible, because the Bible of itself says that it's accurate, it says that it's infallible, it says that it's the Word of God. Six times the Bible says of itself that it's perfect. Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle will pass away from my Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will remain. Jesus says, the Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If there's a problem with the Bible that's in your lap, there's a problem with the God that's in heaven, and there is no problem with the God in heaven, and God is very capable to put a book in your lap in 2023 exactly the way that he wants it. And the Bible says of itself that it's, it, it, it's, it's inerrant, and it's there. It says it's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the bone and the marrow. That, that, that's microscopic surgery in, in, in be dividing bone from marrow, and the Word of God is that sharp. The Word of God, Peter tells us that everything you need for life and godliness is contained in the Word of God. Last week, um, actually it was two weeks ago because Josh preached last week and did a phenomenal job. I listened to his message this week. So thank you, Pastor Josh. Um, but I, I illustrated how the, in this verse it says the Bible is living. And I gave you a couple of examples where, where God took things out of the pages of the Bible and he spoke them into my heart. And if I gave you guys opportunity to come up, you could all share testimony, how, how you opened God's word, and God's word spoke to your heart about um, something in that situation. And then in verse 13, it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him who we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Look at your neighbor and say, great. Great. Listen. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. Who's the book of Hebrews written to? Hebrews, first century Jewish Christians, believers in Jesus that have become believers. One, thing's the, one of the things that these guys were so well versed in was the priesthood and, 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 and spiritual things of Judah and, and the law things of Moses, I meant to say. Now, they would fully understand every function of the high priest, but this is the first time they would have heard somebody refer to him as a great high priest, and, and, and Jesus is our great high priest, Paul says here. And so, again, um, seeing then that we have a great high priest, do you realize that you have today a great high priest? 
Now listen, I, again, um, when I, you know, I pick on my Catholic friends a little bit on some of these things, and you know, not, to, not to mean it personally, but the, the idea the Catholic Church has where you go to a priest and you confess your sins and you do those things, listen, they, they got the concept right. They, they just got the function of it wrong. Because listen, we are to go to a priest. But the Bible is very clear that that priest doesn't wear skin anymore. That that priest is Jesus, and Jesus is our great high priest. And every function of a high priest, we have now direct access to our high priest. But do you realize that right now, as we sit here, Jesus is currently in the function of acting as your high priest. He is in heaven right now, and he is your high priest. And we have a great high priest. And then Paul's going to go on to explain this concept again to these Jewish believers who would have understood the function of the priest. And as you know, and, and even as it functions, listen, I, I picked on Catholics, but let me just say this. It's not just Catholics. It's, it's really every religious system has some form of, of this person in skin who, who they put between you and God. Whether it's a bishop, whether it's, you know, Mother Teresa, or whether it's the Virgin Mary, or, or whether it's, it's a pastor, or a priest, or, or anybody, but religion, every religion, you name it, I guarantee you, every religion has some person that they put between the laity and God, and you need this person, you need to know what this person knows, this person receives special revelation that other people don't receive, listen, I want to tell you, that's not true, that's not biblically accurate, one iota. The Bible is very clear that you should turn your cell phone off when you come. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I only tease you because I love you. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm just kidding. It doesn't bother me. You guys can all turn your cell phones on. Just find a different church. No, I'm just kidding. Um, where were we? Very, very clear that, 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 um, that, that the that, that there's one mediator between man and God, and who is that? The man Christ Jesus. One mediator between man and God. So who do you need? Listen, this is why religion has a bad name. This is why we can't defend the history of the church. Because for 1,500 years, um, we've always tried to design these religious systems where people need to come to a man in order to have access to God. Do you know that it's only recorded two times in the New Testament where Jesus got angry? And do you realize the only time recorded in the Bible where Jesus gets angry, and it's the same offense twice, it's when people are getting in the way of people coming to God. They were standing in the temple, and they were preventing worshipers who came to worship God from having access to be able to worship God. And Jesus got angry and kicked them out, flipped the tables, made a whip, and whipped people. He wasn't messing around. God is not in the business of us getting in the way of other people having access to God. And, and listen, you don't need me. You don't need a person. You don't need... My, my job is to encourage you guys in your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And also, everything I teach, I never tell you, hey, believe what I teach. Matter of fact, I tell you the opposite. Check everything that I teach. Be a student of the Word of God. Seek these things out for yourself. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by me or anybody else. But the simple truth is you do not need a go-between. And that's how, that's how religion has used to control people. Because if you need me to get to God, that gives me a lot of power over your life. Maybe give me power over your finances, over lots of parts of your life. 
And God doesn't want that. You know what else he told the Ephesian church? Jesus said to the, to the Ephesian church, I hate, and again, if God hates something, how many of you guys want to be on the side of something that God hates? The Bible says God hates those who cause division in the body of Christ. So don't be a person that causes division in the body of Christ. Don't be a divisive person because God hates it. He says in Revelation, he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The deeds of the Nicolaitans, the word Nico is where we get our, our English word Nike from. The word means victory. It was a god of victory. It's a Greek god, a mythological god of victory. And that's, where the, that's, where, that's what Nike named their product after was victory. And then laity means the lay people or average people. So the victory over the people. And Jesus said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans who lorded over the people. And they put themselves between God and men, and Jesus hates it. Amen? I think I've kicked that dead horse enough. You guys got the point. We have a great priest. His name is Jesus. Listen, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points. Everybody say all points. What's all mean in the Greek? All. Tempted as we are yet without sin. Listen, God wants you to know that Jesus can sympathize with what you go through. Now you say, oh, well, Jesus was never tempted to smoke crack. They didn't have crack in those days. No, no, it's not the point that he was tempted with. But in every point, every type of temptation, that, that temptation fits into a category. And the Bible says that Jesus suffered in his temptation. Do you know why he suffered in his temptation? Because he resisted every one of them. Maybe you don't suffer in your temptation because you just give in to them and enjoy it. And sin is fun for a season. Don't let everybody ever tell you sin's not fun. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Sin is fun for a season. But sin, sin comes with an invoice. It comes with a bill in your life, a price that you pay. And everything that Jesus offers you, the joy and the rest that Jesus offers you, it doesn't come with an invoice. It's God's gift for your life in obedience to him. So, but, but God wants you to know that Jesus can sympathize with you. And I hope you believe that and understand that. And not to think that Jesus was some far removed character and he could not know what you're going through. Satan tempted him in all things possible with every type of temptation. Jesus faced it and resisted it. And then it says because he did that and because he took on skin, he has compassion for you. Do you know that I have compassion for drug addicts? Do you know I have a special grace and love for drug addicts? Because I was one. And the Bible says he who is forgiven much loves much. And, and so I have things that I went through, and, and, and because I went through those things, I'm a hypocrite if I'm not compassionate on others who go through those things. And when people go through struggles and sins, I love them. I have compassion for them because I've been forgiven so much. And, 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 and imagine that times a million billion, right, when it becomes Jesus who's in that shoes, and Jesus went through those things, and he understands where you are, and he loves you, and he has compassion for you. So you have a high priest, but don't ever think that as you come to Jesus, you come to your high priest, that, that it, there's some disconnect where he's not getting you, or he doesn't get it because he didn't face that. Listen, he did. He faced it all, and he overcame. Amen? And then we have one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I say that about every other verse. Chapter 5, verse 1 will be the next one to be my favorite. Listen, verse 16, chapter 4, let us, therefore, everybody say, let us. Yes. Don't, be, don't be eating the devil's lettuce. Let us, I think you actually smoke it, but don't do that either. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see how this so beautifully ties together? And Paul just puts this big bow on it in verse 16. The high priest, who went into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was? 
How often? Once a year. And then, and then he says, listen, we no longer have the function of high priest in the flesh anymore. We still have the function of high priest. God's plan is still going to stay the same, but the function of it is going to change because now you're going to have direct access to God, and Jesus is your high priest. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of God. Radical that you guys have all been invited into the Holy of Holies. Again, we don't get it because we're 2,000 years removed, but I guarantee you this was the most radical idea for, and pill for people to swallow in the first century that God is going to allow women and children and dogs and drug addicts and everybody to go in the Holy of Holies when for 1,000 years only one person once a year went in and he had to wear bells around his feet in case he passed over dead from sin inside there and they, they wouldn't go in after him, they'd drag him out. And now the veil of the temple rents when Jesus dies on the cross and we're all invited in. And not only are you invited in, Paul encourages us, the writer of Hebrews here says, I encourage you to come boldly. Listen, come with reverence. Come in awe. But come boldly. Come to the throne of grace. God, you're invited. Do you guys understand that? Do you believe that? I mean, that, that is radical, right? That God invites you into his very presence. He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. And the thing that's radical for me is he likes me. I know most of you don't, but it's okay. Jesus likes me. You tolerate me. But Jesus likes me, and he loves me, and he loves you, and he invites you to come in. You have no excuse. He wants only the best for you as a child of God. Amen? Chapter 5. Now we got 10 minutes to cover five. We're going to get it. For every high priest, we're still on the same topic. We're going right, it's flowing right in. For every high priest is taken from among men and is appointed for men the things pertaining to God that he, he may offer the gifts and sacrifices for sins. So Paul's just kind of reminding them stuff they would have known very well. And then it says he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself also is subject to weakness. So again, my, the thing example of myself, where I have compassion for sinners because I was one, and, and, and the writer here of Hebrews points that out. And then he says, And no man takes his, this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was called. So listen, God chose the tribe of Levi to be the priestly tribe. So they didn't have any inheritance in, in the inheritance. They were set aside the part in the middle where the temple was to be a part of the temple. But in the early days, there was no priestly temple. And then you remember the story where Moses is up on the mountain and, he's, and God's giving him the Ten Commandments and he comes down and Moses gets angry and, and, and he throws the tablets that God had written on with his own hand on the ground and they break. Moses was the only guy that's ever broken all Ten Commandments at one time. And then the nation of Israel, the, the people are having this, this wild party. They, they got bandanas on, and they're drinking, and they're running around the fire singing, Born to be wild. And Moses comes down. He's like, what are you guys doing? And, and, and then he calls Aaron. He's like, Aaron, what did you do? And he's like, oh, I don't know. He said, they, I, they, they wanted the worship of God, and so I told them to give me all their gold, and I, I just threw it in the fire. And, and then this calf came out. The worst lie in human history. Dude, every one of us, every one of us, when we see Aaron in heaven, just walk up to him and say, you're the guy that told that lie? He's going to be like, yeah, I, I know. I, I was the guy that told that lie. 
So Moses doesn't even entertain it, but that's what Aaron says. He says, I don't know, I just threw the gold, and this calf jumped out, and then we started worshiping it. And um, So, so God, God said, we have to deal with the people's sins. And of the tribes, he said, I want you to call the men that are willing to do what I ask them to do, and it's a very difficult thing that I'm asking them to do. I'm asking them to take up swords and arms against their own men and deal with this sin. And it was the tribe of Levi that stood up and, and took the challenge and was obedient to what God wanted them to do. And they took up arms and they dealt with it the way that God wanted to deal with it. And that's how the tribe of Levi got singled out. From that time on, God separated the tribe of Levi to be the, the, the priestly tribe. So listen, to be a priest, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't have a career choice. I, I want to be, be a cop. I want to do this. No, it was you had to be born into it. And, and in order to be the high priest, to qualify for the high priest, not only did you have to be born into the tribe of Levi, you had to be a direct descendant in the line that was Aaron's line. That's why we call it the Aaronic priesthood, the Aaronic line. And, and so, you know, you had to be in that line to be the high priest. And so, again, Paul is laying these functions out, but God chooses... And then they would cast lots, they would do certain things to decide who got to be the new high priest, um, trying to discern God's will so God would choose. There was a group of, of men in the Old Testament during Moses' day called the sons of Korah. And they came to Moses in Numbers chapter 16, write that down, you can read that for homework, and they challenged Moses and they said, how come you guys get to do all the things of God? Everybody in the congregation, we're godly too. And we, 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 we're anointed, we should also be ha- have the chance to, to be used by God. But God didn't call these men, and they challenged Moses' authority. And, and Moses said, okay, if you think you're the ones that are supposed to do these things, let's have a little good old-fashioned Old Testament competition, and you stand over here, and I'll stand over here. And the earth is going to open up and swallow one, and they're going to go into the earth whole, and we'll know who God chooses. And that's exactly what they did. And the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all these 250 men. And they went alive into the hole, and by this God said that he chose Moses, and he didn't choose these men. So listen, it's a call of God on your life. I want to tell you, I'm the pastor of this church not because I'm the most spiritual person in this room, not because I'm the smartest person in the room, not because I'm the most good-looking person in the room. Well, that's debatable, but um, (laughs) listen, I'm here, and I mean this 100%. I'm here because God has called me to be here. That's the only reason. Josh is our youth pastor, not because Josh is the best person qualified to lead the youth in Tooele. That's not why he's the youth pastor. He's the youth pastor of this church because God has called him into that position. And, and as, as, you know, in leadership, it makes life easier for me because, you know, I, I don't need Josh to be perfect. I don't need him to do everything well. What I need to know is that he's the one that God has called, and then I can deal with everything else that comes. Jackie, who's been in the children's ministry for so long, She's there because she's the one that God called to be in there and to do that ministry. And so it's a call of God. You have to be called. You know what? You, you, you have to be called of God. And when you're called, and listen, people, over the years, we, we had a brother who was serving in our youth ministry. He was a leader in the youth group. He was a teacher. And he came to me and he challenged me and he said, Pastor Chris, he said, I've been here, yada, yada. He said, I want you to bring me in front of the church and I want you to ordain me. Now, in his kind of theology and doctrine, he was thinking that this was somehow going to give him some authority or I was going to be able to impart something to him by ordaining him. Now, I'm an ordained, licensed minister. Ordination is kind of common in churches, but in different